come with us if you want to live. Okay, it's not that drastic, but at this moment in time, we are in dire need of quite a few conversations about the many facets of artificial intelligence when it comes to teaching and learning. Some educators see a post-apocalyptic world bearing down on us, while others just see a tool that can be incredibly useful, even fun. Wherever your own personal programming has you on this continuum, there's going to be a few bits and bites here for you as the GLG explores AI in schools with a little Terminator twist. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your very own guildmates and hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Labrie. Conversations with educators about AI seem to go in one of two ways. Either we're hand-wringing about how AI is going to further perpetuate dependence and lack of independent thought in our younger generations, or it's this amazing shining tool that we should all be using, students and teachers alike, to make all of our lives so much easier and, what the heck, why aren't we using it yet? Like the title of this series and our episodes suggest, they're either looking at AI as the big bad or the big hero. Without acknowledging the very real ethics and feelings that surround any new technology in the classroom, particularly one with as much power as AI possesses, it looks like all sheen and no substance and we will lose people. But by the same token, we are missing an incredible opportunity to explore along with our students and prepare them, truly prepare them for the world that will soon be theirs to run if we just say, hasta la vista, baby, to all technology and go 100% pen and paper to block it all out. As with most things, the answer is in the middle somewhere. And so we intend with this episode to meet the folks who might be seeing AI as the big bad or maybe the Terminator where they're at, but to gently start shifting that mindset away from apocalyptic thoughts and to find some hope by focusing on the human elements in our classroom and the many things we can still control. All right. So I am feeling like it is high time that we talked about AI. That is like the word on everybody's lips these days. Sure is. Absolutely. And when we were, Emily, when I was listening to the overview and and everything as we were kind of writing this, something that stood out to me is even though I work in a school system, whenever I think of AI, I always think of this, that, that second path, like all the potential that it has. And so when we were drafting this episode, that's the portion that I went down first. But I love that we're starting with that other side of the coin because not everybody feels or views it in the same way. So this is brilliant on your part. Totally. Thank you. It really is just an effort to not engage in toxic positivity. Like just because we find AI particularly exciting and and Casey, you're definitely not alone in that sentiment. I do think it's really important to hear folks and, you know, hold space for them while they're going through something that's legitimately going to be a difficult adjustment. So in so doing, I found myself thinking about like, (laughs) what would a good metaphor for this be? And I kind of got to the quintessential humans versus machines story 
by way of the Terminator movies. Love, Love it. it. And I have to say, I've had the opportunity to be designing some professional learning experiences for teachers within my district. And also had in the meantime, because there's so much change and so it's so rapidly evolving, it's hard to stay ahead of the curve and be the most aware of what's going on. And in that, I've had to do a lot of learning. And there's different learnings that I've partaken in or I've heard people speak about in terms of AI. And the ones that don't address some of the things that we're talking about here with just even the potential risks or hazards or the concerns that people have, if you don't actually talk in those terms first, I felt like you almost felt like you were engaging with a used car salesman, like this is great, this is perfect, this is, but it doesn't really Mm -hmm. address the entire scope of and and how magnified this issue is. Well, and not to be a little too on the nose, but you're right. I think there's some some real artifice in that. And I think it's because jumping right into the benefits and the many exciting things about the tool, which trust me, we will get there. And I'm excited (laughs) to talk about that too. Do not get me wrong. But I think we have to kind of keep th- keep one foot in the very human pool here. And that, again, is why I keep coming back to, to Terminator in my head, because, you know, I don't know. I think that that whole, that whole story is about the humans versus the robots, but there becomes a point in, l- let me be honest, the only Terminator I've seen all the way through in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, where they have to <laughs> embrace some collaboration and partnership with the bots and do that to their own benefit and to save what they see as the human piece of things. And I, as the two of you are talking, I am going to like really kick it back old school. And I think back to my Brit lit days, like this is all anchored in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Like what happens when we engage in scientific discovery and advancement without soul or without that human care component and I think this episode does that because we're really going to be focused on what are the feelings that people have when we have these conversations about AI what are we possibly giving up I mean that's why scientific ethics do exist we've opened the box that doesn't mean we don't think about these ethical concerns at the same time even though it's already been open Casey props to you in connecting Terminator to Brit lit like (laughs) that is next level (laughs) next level and then uh, it's the first (laughs) sci-fi i can't help it yo give this girl a phd let's go (laughs) and the other thing that i am shocked for anybody that's out there that has listened to us for any amount of time this might be the one time that we have some kind of connection where i've seen the most episodes (laughs) of something now we were already laughing before we started recording that my total recall emily's joke was not had to was not is not great I'm not great at recalling all of the the one-liners and and my memory is usually more holistic than any of the granular stuff but I have the best working knowledge I think of the three of us with Terminator tonight Jenny will be the resident expert great okay so before we kind of jump into you know our grounding focus here I kind of want to share a quote from Terminator so I'm just going to read this off And think about where this takes us mentally, because I think it'll help us jump into this while really thematically keeping things connected. Although, Casey, you've really done a nice piece Mm -hmm, of work with that already. (laughs) Anyways, the quote is from Sarah Connor, and it's this. We all have weak moments, moments where we lose faith, but it's our flaws, our weaknesses that make us human. 
These are things machines will never do. They cannot possess faith. They cannot commune with God. They cannot appreciate beauty. They cannot create art. If they ever learn these things, they won't have to destroy us. They'll be us. What does that quote make you think, guys? Well, it's it's like I said in the earlier portion. It's at this very point, while AI can engage in creative thought and creation, it doesn't have that emotional connection to the work that it creates. Like you can change it, you can fix it, you can hire it to do a job and then use none of it. And it's not going to go home and cry to its girlfriend or boyfriend about the fact that you didn't use its work. And so I think those emotional pieces, which are the anchor to this particular episode, are important and what makes us human. And if the machines do start feeling the feels, well, then they're just more now like us. I love that you bring that that out, Casey, that idea of the generative AI piece of this, right? It's generating work, it's generating product, but there isn't the feeling or authenticity behind it. So it is generating art. You can see what it does. It is. It actually has helped complete Mozart's Fifth Symphony, right? But the, what makes Mozart's Fifth Symphony still important and culturally relevant is that it was Mozart's right? So Mm -hmm. it's the authenticity that really what we want when we even just thinking about the foods that we consume, we're going to want the things that are the purest coming from real and nature, then we we want anything that's synthetic anyway. But yet, it still can be a way to help us generate things. We just have to be able to understand that there's a deeper element that we will always bring to the table that it can't. I love that you mentioned that. But at the same time, I think that that last line, they'll be us, is something that really makes teachers' blood run cold. And so with that, I kind of want to transition to our first piece of discussion here. And this is the part where we are going to just openly acknowledge what are the things about AI that are freaking people out that scare particularly educators. So what are some of those things? I think the first, and we've talked about it on, on here probably in season one, is the fear of the unknown right? That in typical teacher existence, we design learning experiences, and then we assess whether or not kids know the thing we've challenged or offered or let them have an opportunity to explore. And often those assessments are write a paper or complete this constructed response or multiple choice type of question. And AI at this point can produce a lot of that. And so we're left with this unknown space of how do I assess if a child, if a student actually knows the thing, since I no longer can use the things that I've been trained as an educator to use. So I think that is where deep down some of that uncertainty may be and where I get resistance with students using AI. Well, this isn't their thought. They're cheating when it's all about reframing, which we'll get into our next episode. Mm -hmm. Casey, I love that part about where you're talking that educators, even adults, this is a Marcus Buckingham quote, they don't fear change, they fear the unknown. So even taking that one step further, when we think about AI and how quickly it is evolving, there's so much unknown out there. So of course, there's going to be some fear that's surrounding this because we really don't know what it's going to be. And in terms of Terminator, when we think of really what people are most fearful of is that idea of Skynet. (laughs) And if we draw any parallels there, of course, that's going to be frightening. Skynet is this enigma. It's everywhere. 
But yet, what is it? And it's taking over what we know as humanity, what we know as what, where we can live, right? And so, yes, it, it seems apocalyptic. Does it really have to be when we think of AI? AI is not that, but I can see where maybe people are drawing that connection to it because of that unknown. Because, hey, it's unknown, so my brain instinctually goes to fear, right? Well, and I would even say, so we have an assessment that no longer would accurately, if it is a paper that we challenge students to do outside of school because we have all this content to cover in school, and now we can't guarantee that that's the actual snapshot of what a student knows and is able to do, now we feel this sense of overwhelm, like, what am I supposed to do? And teachers' plates are already overloaded, and we're asking them to rethink what may feel like an overwhelming amount of work to now redo. And I think that can be frustrating. Like, you've just made my job 10 times harder by me now having to redo things that I've already done, I know have worked and have really shown me what kids can do. And I do think that one of the things that that people are frightened of is like you mentioned, this technology is forever in flux and the more that's fed into it, the more it grows and adapts and it's able to do. And so I think a lot of times it's that feeling of, of of chasing something, but feeling like the goalposts are always moving. And I think that teachers are feeling that weird sense of being on their heels and not being able to plan ahead because, like you said, it's unknown and they don't know where it's going. And so we are forced to be in a position as educators to be reactive to something rather than proactive, which is usually where we feel that sense of comfort and control. Right. And I do think there are some things that are legitimately frightening about AI with some of the things that it can do. Like it can, Jenny, like you said, get very Skynet, like some of the stuff that you hear about how it's able to manipulate people's likenesses and voices and things like that. Just the the sheer ethics and considerations are not moving as fast as the technology, in my opinion. So I do get the genuine fear that some people have of how quickly it's going and how we haven't really thought through the legal and ethical ramifications for some of the things it's capable of. And I'm going to leave this here too, just for everyone to think about. It is going to deepen the chasm created by inequitable access Mm -hmm. to technology Mm -hmm. because this is just another one of those fast-moving technologies and it's going to be harder for those who do not have access to technology that provides access to AI to know anything or do anything with or about AI from either perspective, from the student or teacher perspective. So my heart goes out to anybody who is affected by that type of inequity because this is just going to throw a huge magnifier on it, unfortunately. And it's something that we need to all keep in the back of our minds as this technology develops. Can I touch on one more thing with that, Emily? Especially that just made me think more about, and we've heard of the one-to-one ratio being the great divide or the digital divide with that inequity. And this is the new digital Mm -hmm. divide. And when we think of how AI is increasing, we are getting people involved in in some of the tools that are there. Hey, subscribe to this. It's free. Try it out. And and the prices are going up. It's actually a very expensive tool. Even ChatGPT, it's an expensive tool to be able to function. So these companies are throwing a lot of money into development 
of AI. And at some points, at some point, they're going to need to recoup on that. And then they're, and as we're already noticing, even months down the road on some of these that were free are now paid. And so when we think of like families that have, can access and pay for these subscriptions. I mean, if we think of ChatGPT 3.5 is free, but the capability of ChatGPT 4, where you have the subscription, is significantly stronger. And so if we don't have people that are learning how to use these tools or able to interact with these tools, it's going to be, it is our next digital divide. Well, and I think speaking of divide and equity too, many of these tools are built around the American English model of language. Mm -hmm. So when you think about multicultural voices and experiences, when you have AI generated materials, they're no longer matching or have that multicultural breath that you would expect and need to keep seeing and hearing in creation and in classrooms. So because we are going to see this more prevalently used as a society. It's it's important for us to name, too, that it can potentially increase cultural insensitivity and perpetual bias, right? Because they're built off of that white American language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I actually have heard that, like, for instance, some of the AI detectors are flagging things that students have run through Google Translate. So even if we mm-hmm. have a multilingual learner who's just trying mm-hmm, to yep. translate their own original writing into English and submit it for assessment, they can be flagged as AI, even though their original generative thought went into the translator. So you're right. That's just one example. Mm -hmm. But we have to be very, very careful about the cultural gaps that are presented Mm -hmm. by AI. Folks, if you're scared, we hear you. And I would say to leaders, if, if you are a principal or a director of innovation or, you know, you work in the instructional technology part of a district or a system, I would make sure that you spend a lot of time not only listening to the things that people are frightened of, but doing some of that validation. Think of what Jenny said at the beginning of this episode about that artificial feeling of jumping right into all the amazing There's a lot of amazing. There is. We are getting there. We are gonna. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. We're gonna go there. But people do need to have their fears made known and validated and listened to so that they know a way to move forward. You can't move forward from something that hasn't been voiced or validated. That's just not part of the human psyche. So speaking of the human psyche, though, I think we can jump into the part of this where we start figuring out like, yeah, it's scary, but what? do we do about it? Some of the things I want to think about is in Terminator, right? It's the uprising of the machines. And then the other faction, the Kyle Reese, Sarah Connor faction is the human resistance. Jenny, please correct me if I'm getting any of this. Nope, you're on point. Okay. So I think about the human resistance as being something that all educators can think about in the back of their minds as they go into a classroom with AI as something to think about and that they have been thinking about is how do we take human elements of setting up our classroom from even before a student sets foot in the classroom and teaching in that classroom to work with AI and an understanding that your students may have access to it and figure out what human elements can bring forth 
better results from your students regarding AI use. So one of the things I would mention right off the bat, I'm just going to jump right in here because I think there's actually a lot that people can do, and I hope this gives people some hope. But thing number one that would come to my mind is figure out what the expectations are for original work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody's got a plagiarism policy, right? I think it's time for schools and systems to add AI to that policy. Have something stated, have have take a stance. Here's here's what our district thinks is original work is not original work. This is allowed, this is not allowed. And I think that we need to make sure that this is something that's communicated to our stakeholders from the get-go before the students are expected to submit or turn anything in or or they're even tempted to use AI, make sure they know where the school stands on it. Yeah, Emily, it's what you're talking there, a really good resource that you can use to help you if you are a system leader or if you are someone that's looking for really good resources is ISTE. The International, help me out, International Society for Society of Technology and Education. ISTE has partnered with Code.org, I believe it is, and they have a really good guidance handbook that has brought not only many thought leaders to the field, but it's also international. So not only the United States, but in many other countries have brought together and consolidated some things to help in terms of what could that look like from the policy lens in your system? But then what does that look like for teacher professional learning and helping what you're talking about here, Emily, about setting expectations? How are teachers going to set expectations if the policy for their system isn't in place as well? And then in addition, how do you have that ongoing support? So it's a really good resource, just something to to throw out there to reference or look at because it also has lots of templates about how to communicate at home with parents, how to communicate with your internal staff. All of that is there for templated use and then you can turn it into what you need for your building or your system. Yeah. And like I said at the beginning, this is the kind of the topic that's on everybody's mind right now. So anybody who's in that systemic leadership position, if you're not like Jenny's district, like the district I work in as well, doing some trainings and some discussions and some roundtables about AI use in your district already before a school year even starts or before teachers are expected to kind of adapt to how it's going to look for their specific classroom, figure out how you're going to talk about it and train people and how you're going to address it systemically. And like you said, Jenny, there's resources. So please do. Love that. A few other things we are going to want to think about, I think also would just go from the teacher perspective. So let's move, like kind of zoom in from that systemic Mm -hmm. lens and think what are some things that teachers in the classroom can do to kind of stave off that AI temptation? Well, I think one of the concerns that I brought up earlier was that assessment piece. And Mm -hmm. so we've got some suggestions for teachers who are feeling like this is an area of uncertainty. I don't know where to go with my assessments. And one of the little things that can actually have a big impact would be to adjust some of the elements of your prompts or your assessments to make at least standardly available AI Mm -hmm. a little less useful. So these would be including or challenging students to use a higher word count or to have prompts be a little bit more lengthy, including more higher order thinking tasks, really enforcing that citation, like include at least five sources that really summarizes all your key components. And you're kind of monitoring those throughout the learning process. And I really love this one. Not only doing kind of your standard 
paper per se, but combining that with other creative elements like a drawing, a speech, a podcast, uh, a video, something where it's a little bit harder to fuse that with AI generated. Another thing to add to that list, Casey, that has also been really helpful is if you really think of in terms of AI and what it's doing when it generates it's generating information that already exists within a database, but it doesn't have personal experiences and connections in that database. So as, as soon as you tweak your prompts or as soon as you tweak your assignments or assessments for students to have to connect to self or personal experience, the AI can't it, and it doesn't know that. So as soon as you put that in there, you're also going to see the authentic work coming from your students and their own experiences. That's another nice way to curb some of that as well and really see what they are about. I would actually back up one step from that. And I know that everybody's like, yo, try building relationships with kids. Like that's a thing. However, I do think that the better you know your kids, the better you know their voice. And I think voice is something that AI cannot replicate as of right Right. now. I don't even think Mm -hmm. the more expensive AI can fully replicate a student's particular voice. So the more time we spend doing either short form writing, small in-class discussions, impromptu speaking and or listening type of assessments, I think the better we know our kids and know what they sound like, talk like, the types of words and phrasings they use, the better we're going to be at knowing what their voice is. And That is not something that AI can replicate or that we even or they, I think if they really think about it, even want it to. So I think it's not just learning their voice. You can catch Mm -hmm. them. It's placing value in their voice. So they place value in their voice. And it's just less exciting to use it when you see that what the teacher is really placing the the true value in learning on is is that self-expression and that expression of your personality through your work. You know, well, and Emily, as you're talking, what I'm hearing is really bringing back journaling, like regular journaling and, you know, letter writing between student and teacher. I'm hearing incorporating and valuing student to student and student and teacher discourse. So you can really get Mm -hmm. a sense for what that voice sounds like. And you're demonstrating with time dedication how valuable that is. Yeah, you're make you're making that investment. Emily, there's something really important there that you also said about the catch them piece that I, I could touch on a little bit here too as well. You know, when we're thinking about it, AI is not going away. And if we're always trying Mm-mm. to keep them off of AI, while Casey, I agree with you, there is a power in journaling. I do it myself. I long form handwrite as well. But we also need to expose them to the ele- the elements of AI and how to use it appropriately. So the more we try and mm-hmm. actually take it away from them or restrict it, we're actually doing that a disservice. It's actually in some ways ethically and morally on the opposite side of the coin, not great either, because they're not as prepared for a future going into that. And so we know that kids are going to be using this. Now, sidebar on this one, technically, the age limit, the legal age limit is 13. Anybody under the age of 13 Mm -hmm. shouldn't be legally using it. Whether or not that happens is a whole other story. But then there's even considerations after the age of 13. But I think that's super important also to touch on is that we want them using it. We know they're going to use it. And when they do, reminding repetition about expectations, right? Asking questions, offering assistance to help them grow in responsible usage. 
I agree with you. And I want to come back to the when they do in a second. But before we go there, that idea of having them use it like I have done this with students in classes where you either have them look themselves and generate themselves or you can also like again for that equitable access bring examples of AI generated stuff and have the students look over the pros and cons and one of the things the students themselves keep coming up with is that it sounds trite that it's a little bit too wordy and that it sounds for lack of a better term robotic <laughs> so yeah. the, the kids are saying that this is and the, i just think that the sheer power in having them discover that for themselves rather than us saying don't use it don't use it don't use it and that temptation just grows and grows instead yes please use it look at it what do you like about it mm-hmm. okay what do you not like about it what could it use some help with and there are so many other things that it can do too that we'll hit in our next episode that can help our students and help them like really create and analyze their own work and have a superior product come from use of AI. But I think that for now, let's just say there are ways you can integrate it into your classroom that we're going to talk more about. Emily, you're so cruel. There's like 15 things I want to say right now, <laughs> I but know. I know we're dedicating know. it to the next episode. I know. <laughs> it's towards I know. It. Well, hey, this is a teaser for our listeners. And Casey. You're going to want to tune in to the next <laughs> oh. one. She wants to pull her Mary Poppins bag out and just fl- run with it. I know. <laughs> oh. I am oh, practicing self-restraint. Well, well done. So Good hard. SEL practices. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to mention also is if you are working on something that's kind of process driven. So for instance, I I come at this from the English perspective and it's not just the final product of like the paper that a student submits that's important. And the more students feel that way that they're like, let's say they're not getting a lot of formative feedback, that's going to make it a little more tempting to use, you know, for that, just get that summative, get that grade to use the AI as a generative tool for that. And I think so it becomes all that much more important for teachers to really engage in the formative process and to engage in the creation, the editing, the revision process as much as or more than they they do just the final assessment Mm -hmm. and make that creative process very interactive with the student and the teacher. We've got some great tools in place for that. And there's so much like you can even just use in Google Docs where you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But you can see if a student did a big copy paste the night before the paper was due versus has been picking away at and making small revisions and has shown you a couple drafts and you've had a chance to conference about it. Like we have all the technology already in place before AI where we can kind of see what's going on with a kid's process. Yep. I feel like that's another sci-fi quote. We have the technology. <laughs> like, it just makes me laugh. It probably is. It probably is. And when we had started out this conversation prior to recording, Emily, you had said something pretty profound that I hadn't realized but it's so true in terms of the Terminator franchise and where it started in the very first film with the Terminator being the bad guy, like he was bad, right? And then Emily, you Mm -hmm. reminded me how, and that's probably because, you know, you you got into Judgment Day. That was your one and only, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And and where he turns into someone that's going to protect them. He is, he Mm -hmm. was created by Skynet, designed by Skynet, but they were willing to, you know, we have on our list here, finally just mess around with it, right? They were willing Mm -hmm. to rebuild him 
and and reprogram him to meet the needs that they had. And it turned out to be something that was so very powerful for them and in the storyline, right? And so there's mm-hmm. some parallels we can draw here, even just with AI in general, right? We've got to build our own knowledge around what is this tool. And if we continue to fear it, if we're always on the defensive and we're not actually looking at what we can do and learn from messing around with it ourselves and getting familiar with it, then we're just not going to be what we can be for our students and for what the future needs in all of us to understand it. Seriously. And honestly, you can have a little bit of fun here as an educator. If you start playing with it a little bit, you know, it's kind of like the scene where like the little John Connor is like teaching him how to say like 90s slang. Like that's so funny. And it's like just such a silly throwaway part of the movie. But at the same time, like it's really that sense of playfulness and fun with the AI tool. And let's be realistic, kind of, you know, keeping it in the metaphor, you're not going to outrun Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Get him on your team and it's going to be better for you. For sure. And the last thing I will mention is I said, I would come back to this in a second. You are going to catch kids using AI. It's impossible for this not to be something that happens. And so I do want to make sure that listeners know to go back to the Brave Conversations episode that we had had. While that episode was geared towards talking to other educators, there's some things that you could pull from that in bridging this conversation with students because it's a difficult one. A lot of students go straight denial. A lot of times students are just freaked out or stressed out about something else and just want to save themselves the time. But I do think that there's ways to address this conversation in a way that's sensitive to the ethical error that students have made that they can actually have a really solid learning experience about AI usage for their future to help them gain that skill of what to do when they have made a mistake with it. Again, failure helps these students grow. And I think if we treat these conversations with firmness but compassion, I think that that is going to help both us and our students. And and the conversations will get easier the more of them we do, even if it's a bit disheartening to have more than Mm -hmm. one of them. You will. And I would say, too, um, just to piggyback and bring us kind of full circle, the conversations become easier if you've set the floor Yes, first, Mm -hmm. because you've made clear the expectations. Everybody knows what they are and mistakes happen. Failure happens. Kids are kids. Right. And so the conversations become far easier when you've already set that basic expectation and boundary. Yeah. The only thing I'd tag onto that is ask questions and offer help. So coming back to that sense of playfulness, I think it is game time for us. This one was short but sweet. But again, I think like we've teased enough times, we're going to continue talking about AI in our next episode. So let's have some fun. Are we sure this is going to be fun (laughs) this time around? Uh, No promises for you because (laughs) you (laughs) are going to be the active player, but we like this game. (laughs) Brutal. So we are back with the big words game that we, we, again, we don't know what else to call it. We just call it the big words game. And this is the first team up for Casey and me. So Jenny, as our resident, most familiar with the Terminator franchise (laughs) person here, you actually are resident metaphor expert here. So enjoy your moment on stage and in the sun here. And we're going to torture you with some Terminator quotes. Okay. We'll see what I can do. You know, again, quotes are not my thing. But fun fact, one of my favorite Halloween costumes, my husband and I went, he was the Terminator and I was Sarah Connor. I've got some good pictures I'll have to unearth. Oh, that's oh, rad. Yeah. Please yes. do. Please yes. do. But, I'd love so to so I, can, I can go back to those photos, but I don't know how much I'm going to be able to go back to even remember any of these quotes. But... <laughs> 
Let's go. I'm game. At Grounded Learners Guild on Instagram. Just <laughs> I was just going to provide you, at least from the ones that I have have written, Jenny, they are pretty well like, known, <laughs> central to the cultural ethos sphere surrounding. I make no Terminator, promises, but so. I will do my best. Mine might be a little trickier, but I bet you can figure it out. For anybody just jumping in on this one who was like, ooh, AI, and clicked on this, <laughs> this game, when we play it, we take either a common quote. Sometimes we've done this with song lyrics and stuff, but this time we're doing it with Terminator quotes, and we run it through the thesaurus, for lack of a better term. We just change all the words, make them sound all hoity-toity vocabulary, and then see if Jenny, in this case, can guess what that quote is. So without further ado... Casey, want to start us she off? She can't wait. <laughs> no, see, here's the thing. I'm oh, nervous really? because I feel like I have only tried this once or twice because normally Emily yeah. is the quote yeah. rewriter. So I feel very vulnerable right now, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a try. That makes two so of us. My quote is, <laughs> my quote is, my sincerest wishes for a productive remainder of your day, puny offspring. I mean, it's obviously the Terminator talking to John Connor. <laughs> Say it one more time. Yep. My sincerest wishes for a productive remainder of your day, puny offspring. My sincerest what? Wishes? My sincerest <laughs> wishes for... A productive remainder of your day, puny Oh my gosh, this is going real well. <laughs> this is actually fun, Emily. Yeah, see, now you know why I love this game so much, Casey. It's usually me torturing Casey for what it's worth. <laughs> she did, she, yeah, she's like, finally, I'm not on that side of it. <laughs> Can I have a clue? Is there like any kind of like I'll, bumpers? I'll give you, I'll give you a, a clue. <laughs> Emily um, knows it. Of course she knows it. <laughs> Well, we texted. Oh, I didn't it. know that. <laughs> I'm not. I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, puny offspring. It's kind of one of the more operative pieces of it, but I think offspring is a little bit loose. It is not somebody's actual offspring. If that makes sense. I could give you a better clue. Right. Yeah. Or was it Sarah Connor who said this? Okay. Okay. No. The original line first begins in a- another language. Oh, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you bring the Spanish in, I know it. <laughs> yeah. We even used it in this episode. Dang it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> Translation's hard. <laughs> that was you're using multiple languages as well. Yes. P.S. I can only think these quotes in Arnold's yeah. voice, so I'm going <laughs> to yeah. give it. I'm going to give it. Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> Love it. My husband used to have one of those like sound boards on his computer where he would just hit different keys and it would play Arnold quotes. So I got a lot of this. <laughs> and the one I'm about to share with you was on it as okay. well. So I'm hoping it's accessible enough. So this quote is, I seek elucidation on the purpose of your lacrimal fluid accompanied lamentations. What the? <laughs> I mean, see, at least mine has normal human words. <laughs> You're going to have to say that a few times, my friend. Do I need to do it in the Arnold voice? <laughs> no, I, no, that's... <laughs> I will... Arnold can I don't think Arnold can do this <laughs> Sorry, come at me, governor. <laughs> 
I seek elucidation on the purpose of your lacrimal fluid accompanied lamentations. I don't even know what lacrimal means. That's one of the words. I, <laughs> okay. oh, I need to see it. Coakland, you are that cruel. Is... <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is this game is just it's me well showing known. off. I swear. <laughs> I, it's less known than some of the one Casey more time. Ones, Say but it, it one was more time. On the soundboard. Okay, so I seek elucidation. I seek elucidation on the purpose of your lacrimal fluid accompanied lamentations. Casey is dying. <laughs> I just, the fluid. <laughs> Do you gross. know it, Casey? Sounds grosser than it <laughs> is. There's a one and then you know Lackman, what was it? I know it only because she told me. But oh, that's right. <laughs> I do know it because she told me. But like, what is what is after fluid? Lacrimal? Accompanied lacrimal <laughs> oh, fluid accompanied lamentations. <laughs> it's like the lamentate. It's just gross sounding. That whole phrase. It's just. Bleh. If you can even like roughly describe the scene, I'll give it to you. He, he is he he can't cry but the kid is crying and he knows he can he, he kind of understands why he can cry all right all right you get it you're but getting I don't it remember what he you said. know the scene i know i know now why you cry but it's something i can <laughs> never do yeah it says that too but like the one that was on the soundboard was why do you cry <laughs> fun fact if that's a fun for anybody besides me, lacrimal fluid is the the scientific name for tears. <laughs> Casey's sick. Gross. Casey's gagging. Tears. So tears. Gross. Nothing else. I'm yes. sorry. It's just... uh, All right. Our last one, once again, this one is a fairly well-known quote. We must depart with haste if we are to persevere in this firmament. Come with me if you want to live is what's coming to mind. But that's too obvious. Yay! Is that it? Yay! Yes. No, it's good. Good job. Oh, that one I actually got pretty quickly. Nice, too. Jenny. Woo. Yes. <laughs> yes. See, I suck at this. Nope. That was no. good. That was good. I liked that one. Yay. Maybe good. I suck at it because she couldn't get it. <laughs> I think my clue's too hard. I'd still like to say I'll do better, but I can't. Can't I stop, won't can't stop. Not. Can't stop, won't stop. All right, so one quote we did not use was, I'll be back. But as we've teased several times in this episode, we will be back. (laughs) Talking about this in our next episode, we are going to explore all the fun stuff, the bells and whistles, what we can do with AI, what are some things we can use to enhance student learning, to help with our own learning, to really grow and utilize AI for our own betterment. And we'll probably have a fun little metaphor with that one too. So just you wait, we'll meet some more fun robots and we'll enjoy some more discussion of AI. So please join us. And that's a wrap on today's episode. It's always so fun to be behind the mics talking to you, our GLG fam. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. The Grounded Learners Guild is a production of Grounded Learning, LLC. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues. As always, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com. While you are there, check out our past episodes, our socials, and learn how you can bring the GLG flavor to your next professional learning event. And yep, you know, your feedback is everything. 
Feedback is that powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, leave us a review and hit that subscribe button. You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you all at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded. <laughs>